Welcome to season two of Through the Psalms. It's good to be back with you. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas, and I want to wish everyone a Happy New Year. Uh, Today on the podcast, we're going to start book two, the Exodus book of the Psalms, and we're going to cover Psalms 42 and 43. And you may be wondering why uh, we're doing two Psalms. Well, many believe that uh, Psalm 42 and 43 go together, and in fact, in some Hebrew manuscripts, they appear as one psalm. Uh, They have similar uh, verses and themes, and so we're going to treat uh, Psalm 42 and 43 as uh, one psalm, and we're going to cover both of them today. Uh, The superscription in Psalm 42 says, To the chief musician, a mascal for the sons of Korah. And I think we've talked about this before, but a mascal uh, means a contemplation. So you could say a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Uh, Mascal is a literal, uh, I'm sorry, a literary or musical term. Now, the uh, authorship of this psalm is somewhat disputed. Um, Obviously, the superscription seems to indicate that the sons of Korah uh, wrote this psalm. But you read some commentators like Matthew Henry and Charles Spurgeon, and they seem to think that David wrote this psalm. Uh, And in fact, when you read the psalm, you kind of get the sense that it's David's writing, some of the things that he says and the way he says it sounds like David. Uh, It's possible that the uh, sons of Korah were just involved in the Uh, temple worship or the music of the psalm, uh, the performance of the song. Uh, So we're not exactly sure who wrote uh, the psalm, to be honest. Um, Korah was someone who uh, rebelled against Moses, uh, but his descendants, uh, the sons of Korah, uh, were were, uh, musicians and and choir singers uh, in the temple. And so I guess we can narrow it down to one of two things. Either David wrote it or the son, one of the sons of Korah wrote it. Uh, but this psalm uh, contains a very intense longing for God. Um, and it has that famous verse about the deer um, panting after the water uh, in verse 1 that you're probably familiar with. And... Uh, many scholars believe that whoever did write this, it was someone in exile that was seemed to be separated from the public worship of God, and uh, he was longing for previous days when he remembered uh, going to the temple uh, with the multitude and worshiping God. Um, as far as the outline of the psalm, it has three stanzas. If you include Psalm 43... Uh, it has three stanzas, and each stanza ends with the refrain, the same refrain, uh, found in verses 5, uh, 11, and in the fifth verse of chapter 43. And that is um, the outline of the psalm. As far as the classification for the psalm, it's a lament psalm. Uh, and to be more specific, it's an individual lament. Okay, with that introduction out of the way, let's go ahead and read 
uh, Psalm 42 and 43, and then we'll talk about them. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they say continually, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God my rock, Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. And then Psalm 43, verse 1. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in the God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Okay, so uh, this psalm, again, uh, is a very personal psalm. Uh, it talks about having a, an intense desire or longing for God. And uh, some see a similarity in that first verse where it talks about thirsting for God, uh, and the second verse also. Uh, some see a similarity between that and Jesus on the cross when in John nineteen twenty eight when he says, I thirst. And so they see the suffering of this psalmist and compare it to the suffering of Christ. Now in verse 1 it says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks. And of course heart can mean deer. So another word for heart is deer. So you'll see most versions will say, As the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Uh, you'll, you may be familiar with a famous uh, worship chorus or a popular worship chorus. Uh, that uh, is from this verse. I think it's called As the Deer, and it's a good song. If you um, are familiar with uh, worship choruses from, I think it was popular in the 80s uh, when I was growing up is when I heard it. And so uh, anyway, it's a good song based on this this verse and this psalm. Uh, but you see the spiritual hunger and thirst of the, the psalmist here. 
And so this is not just someone going through the motions, uh, something, somebody that's, you know, just being religious uh, for show or uh, to impress people. No, this is someone with a personal relationship with God and a strong desire to worship God and to seek after God. Um, and just as only water will satisfy the deer's thirst, uh, only God will satisfy our souls. Um, St. Augustine's Confessions has a famous uh, line in it that says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And um, that's kind of the story of humanity is people looking for something to satisfy and being disappointed until they find uh, God and then they realize that only God can satisfy uh, their deepest needs and um, that there's a God-shaped vacuum or a God-shaped hole in every person's heart. Uh, Matthew Henry says it this way, living souls can never take up their rest anywhere short of a living God. So that's powerful imagery when you think about um, thirst and you think about that deer panting after the water and he longs to satisfy that thirst. Well, there's a, a spiritual um, allegory or metaphor there and only our spiritual thirst can only be satisfied uh, by the living God. Notice that in the, at the end of verse 2, he talks about wanting to come and appear before God. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? Um, Matthew Henry says, to appear before God is as much the desire of the upright as it is the dread of the hypocrite. And so if you're right with God, then you desire to, to see him and to appear before him. But if you're not right with God or if you're living hypocritically, then obviously you're not gonna want you're not going to want to appear before him. You're gonna want to hide from him. Verse three, he talks about his tears being his meat or his food day and night. And we see this language um, throughout the Psalms uh, and just basically a poetic way of saying that he has been suffering and he has known discouragement and sadness. Uh, he's, it says, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? And so his enemies are mocking him and attacking his faith, trying to get him to doubt, uh, trying to get him to ask, you know, why hasn't God delivered him? Uh, Matthew Henry says, nothing is more grievous to a gracious soul than that which is intended to shake its hope and confidence in God. Verse four, um, he looks back and he remembers how things were and he's lamenting the fact that they aren't the way they used to be. And I found this verse very timely uh, for us uh, because you think about the pandemic and all that's changed and a lot of us just want to go back to the way things were before uh, and everything seems to be in a state of upheaval and uh, you know just uh, life is not the same as it was obviously just uh, two or three years ago and uh, 
the psalmist here um, talks about when he the days when he went with the multitude and he went to the house of God uh, with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a holy day or a pilgrim feast and um, so for some reason the psalmist uh, is unable to to do this anymore he's somehow kept from going to worship God you know in Jerusalem it sounds like and uh you know we can i think we can even relate to this as you know things at church are not the same since the pandemic began uh you know some people uh the the church is not as full as it used to be uh sometimes the services have been interrupted due to illness or you know quarantine and um even this past Sunday, I was unable to go to church uh, because of uh, being sick. And so, and I really missed, you know, being able to do that. And so uh, we can relate to this, um, the psalmist and how he feels and how he longs for the way things used to be. And he remembers when uh, not just him, but a whole multitude went uh, to worship God uh, it says in the house of God. And so you find him longing for the way things used to be. Um, let me read a quote here from, uh, Charles Spurgeon. Actually, it's, it's a, it's from a hymn by F I'm sorry. It's a, it's, it's from a hymn from H F light, uh, based on Psalm 42. And, um, I found it in um, Charles Spurgeon's, you know, Treasury of David on his commentary on the Psalms, but but it's actually uh, from a poem from H.F. Light. And it says, I sigh to think of happier days when thou, O God, was nigh, when every heart was tuned to praise and none more blessed than I. And so you see him longing for the past, you know, longing for better days. And of course, the Bible in Ecclesiastes warns us against, you know, remembering the past, not remembering the past days, but kind of longing for them, saying those were better days. And, you know, because we have to live in the present, we can't live in the past. So we can remember those days, we can appreciate them, but we have to move on and live in the present. And the reason why we're able to do that is that God is with us and he uh, is with us even though life may not be uh, the same as it used to be. Um, Charles Spurgeon also said there that painful reflections were awakened by the memory of past joys. And I thought that was very profound because here he is remembering these past joys but in a way, it's a painful reflection because it reminds him that things are different now and he can't go to the house of God like he used to. And so uh, I thought that was uh, very uh, powerful. Okay, let's look at verse 5. This is the refrain that we see uh, repeated again in verse 11 and then also in verse 5 of the next Psalm 43. And so... This refrain, this refrain appears uh, three times, and um, basically the same 
language uh, each time. And he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance um, or his presence. Uh, the NIV says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed with, within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Okay, so we see that um, the psalmist here, in a way, is talking to himself, and he's he's saying, "Why are you discouraged? You know, why are you um, feeling this way?" Uh, and he reminds himself to put his hope in God, and then you see his faith that he has faith that even though things are difficult now, that in the future he will praise Him for the help of His presence or His countenance. And so we see the, the faith and encouragement, even in the midst of his suffering, uh, he goes back to his faith and finds hope in God. And so I find this verse very encouraging. Uh, in fact, this is a verse that you can um, remember, write down, and, when, and quote when you're discouraged. Uh, I think it will help. And notice that he uh, puts his focus back on God. He says, hope in God. So he changes his focus from his circumstances uh, to God. Uh, Matthew Henry says, wherever we are, there is a way open heavenward. So this psalmist, we're going to talk about in a minute uh, about the location and maybe where he's at. But um, even though he's not in Jerusalem where he wants to be, uh, there's always a way to God. He can pray to God wherever he is. He doesn't have to be in Jerusalem to pray to God. And we can pray to God wherever we are. Uh, so that's encouraging to us to remember as well. All right, in verse 6, he says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and from the hill Mizar. So it seems that the psalmist is uh, not in Jerusalem. Uh, it seems that he's somehow in exile. And <clears throat> if you look at a modern day map of Israel, uh, you'll notice that Jordan, the country Jordan, is to the east of Israel. Syria is to the northeast. And then Lebanon is to the north. Well, he mentions here the land of Jordan, and it's kind of unsure, unclear whether this is, um, it's probably not talking about the modern day country of Jordan, but uh, the Bible dictionary that I looked at or the, the resources I looked at said the land of Jordan probably refers to the uplands of the northeast. So think maybe northeast Israel, kind of as you approach uh, modern day Syria in that area. And then the Hermonites or the Hermans is probably referring to Mount Hermon, uh, which is in the anti-Lebanon mountain range, and it straddles the border between Syria and Lebanon, and it's the highest point in Syria. It's a mountain of 9,232 feet, and it has three different um, summits. And so it's a very tall mountain, kind of northeast of Israel on the border between Syria, and Lebanon. And then the hill Mizar uh, 
the the word literally means little hill and the thomas nelson bible dictionary by william smith says that this is probably in the northern part of transjordan palestine probably a summit of the eastern ridge of lebanon uh, not far from maha name so all that to say that it sounds like he's in the far northeast corner of Israel, maybe in uh, modern-day Syria, um, close to Mount Hermon, somewhere in that area. Uh, we don't know why he's there, and uh, it doesn't really give us a lot of explanation, but those are the only clues we have as far his, as far as his location. All right, verse 7, uh, Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Okay, water spouts can be waterfalls uh, is another way to translate that. And uh, waves and billows or waves and breakers. And so he's talking about um, the water crashing down upon him. And uh, Charles Spurgeon has some very um, poetic language when he talks about this verse. He, he says, Your severe dealings with me seem to excite all creation to attack me. And he calls it a dreadful conspiracy against my peace. And he, he mentions Atlantic rollers sweeping in ceaseless succession over one's head. So you have to love the uh, very poetic language there from Spurgeon. But the idea is that creation almost seems to be attacking him. And it's just wave after wave of problems and enemies. And there seems to be almost a conspiracy against him. So he's definitely going through a difficult time here. But yet he always comes back to hope because you look in verse 8 and he says, Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. So in the daytime, he says, the Lord will command his loving kindness to me. At night, his song will be with me and I will pray to him, my prayer unto the God of my life. So the psalmist is discouraged, but he always goes back to his faith in God to find encouragement. Verse nine, he begins to ask questions. He says, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And so he, he's asking God questions, kind of like Job, when Job begins to ask God questions on why, it is, why this has happened. And he asks God, why has he forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? And why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Um, and so I want to read a little bit more from Charles Spurgeon. He says, faith is allowed to inquire of her God, the causes of his displeasure. And she is even permitted to reason with him and put him in mind of his promises and ask why apparently they are not fulfilled. He who condescends to be pleaded with by Abraham, his friend, allows us to put to him the question that we may search out the causes of his severity towards us. How can the strong God who is as firm and abiding as a rock be also as hard and unmoved as a rock towards those who trust in him. Such inquiries, humbly pressed, often afford relief to the soul. To know the reason for sorrow is in part to know how to escape it, or at least to endure it. 
And so it's normal to ask questions and it's normal to pray to God and, and wonder why is this happening? And, you know, oftentimes, even more than wanting out of it, we want to know why. It's like, why is this happening? That's the hard part is not understanding the why. Um, now, God is not obligated to answer our questions. I believe he listens to them, but he doesn't always answer. He doesn't always tell us why. Um, sometimes he does. That's not to say he never tells us why. Sometimes he does. But this is normal uh, to have these questions when you're going through a difficult time. Verse 10, as with the sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? So again, he speaks about his enemies and he compares it to a sword in his bones. Uh, the NIV says, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And again, they're attacking his faith. Um, they're mocking him. And that's probably one of the most difficult things is because then he begins to say, well, where is God? Why isn't he answering? Why isn't he delivering? And so these enemies are cruel and they're uh, going after his faith in God. In verse 11, again, we have the refrain where he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. And that's how Psalm 42 ends. And so it ends on that encouraging note. But then if you look at Psalm 43, here's the third stanza uh, where he continues to lament and pray to God. And then in verse 5, we have that refrain again. So let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and move on to um, Psalm 43. Look, let's look at verse 1. He says, Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Uh, the word judge there means vindicate. So you can say, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause. And that's what other translations will say. So he's asking for God to vindicate him uh, and plead his cause because he feels like he's done, but he's been done wrong by these enemies. And he asks to be rescued from these deceitful and unjust uh, men. Now that's, you know, this is a common theme throughout the Psalms. We've seen David pray similar prayers about vindicate me, O God. Uh, let me read another quote here from um, Charles Spurgeon. It says, others are unable to understand my motives and unwilling to give me a just verdict. You will impartially weigh my character and right my wrongs. If you will judge, your acceptance of my conduct will be enough for me. I can laugh at human misrepresentation if my conscience knows that you are on my side. And then he goes on to say, one such advocate as the Lord will more than suffice to answer a nation of brawling accusers. When people are ungodly, no wonder that they are unjust. Those who are not true to God himself cannot be expected to deal rightly with his people. And he goes on to say that one good word from God outweighs 10,000 railing speeches 
of men. He bears a brazen shield before him, whose resilience in all things is upon his God. The arrows of calumny fall harmlessly from such a buckler. So I like that where he says, uh, I can laugh at human misrepresentation if my conscience knows that you are on my side. And that's so true. You know, one of the most painful things is to be misunderstood or misrepresented or judged unfairly by people that either don't understand or don't have all the facts. But he says that he can laugh at human misrepresentation if he knows that God is on his side. And that is true. If you know God's on your side and and God understands it, that goes a long way to help you uh, deal with that. Okay. Um, Then in verse 2, he says, For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Very similar language to verse 9 in Psalm 42. Um, so again, he's, he has these questions uh, for God. Verse 3, he asks God to send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Um, and so very encouraging verse. He's asking God for guidance and encouragement uh, he's asking God, uh, of course, to help him with his enemies. And he wants, he says, let your light and your truth lead me and bring me unto your holy hill. So there again, we see this uh, theme continued of him wanting to get to Jerusalem and to worship God. Uh, that's what it's talking about when it says thy holy hill, um, the temple in Jerusalem. And so we see that these same themes. So that's another reason why Psalm 43 seems to go with Psalm 42 as very similar language and similar themes. Uh, Him wanting to get back to Jerusalem and get back to worshiping God publicly. Uh, Verse 4, he uh, says, Then will I go into the altar of God. So again, he wants to worship the Lord. And he says, Unto God my exceeding joy. Um, he calls God his exceeding joy. And he talks about worshiping on worship. I'm sorry. He talks about worshiping him on the harp and praising him. Uh, just another interesting note. The name for God in this psalm, except for verse um, verse eight, where it says the Lord, and I think the other verses where it just says God, the, is the word Elohim. Uh, so it's kind of the more generic word for God uh, that the psalmist uses here. Uh, but in verse 8, he uses the word, the Lord. Okay, so, uh, but anyway, he talks about worshiping God. He talks about um, playing the harp and praising him. So again, you see this desire all throughout these two psalms of him wanting to worship God and seek after God, just like that deer panting after the water. And you see a sincere worship. This psalmist is clearly, um, it's heartfelt, it's sincere. Uh, it's It's not for show, like I said before, but this is his sincere desire to worship God. 
Verse 5, again, you have the refrain that we talked about. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And so it ends on that positive note. And so what can we learn from this psalm? Uh, again, uh, that we are to thirst and seek after God. We're only going, going to find satisfaction in the Lord. Uh, we're not going to find it anywhere else. And that when we're going through difficult times, we can find encouragement in God. We need to put our focus back in God. And we need to uh, have faith in him. And that's where we find our encouragement. Well, that's all I have, and I, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope this was a blessing for you. Uh, it was good to be back with you, and I want to thank you for listening.